Welcome back to the Rebel Alliance Media Podcast. Uh, how are you doing today, man? I, I feel great. I'm still, I'm, I know it's been weeks, but I'm still buzzing about the fact that Doug Wilson was on our podcast. Yeah, for sure. And uh, uh, without any spoilers, uh, we got, we have uh, a couple other big time guests that we're uh, super excited to introduce our, our fan base to. So I, fan base, that sounds weird saying well, that. All, Let's just say the, listeners. The 11 people who listen to us. Yeah, are, they're pumped about it. They are fans. I, I feel like there's 12 now. We gained at least one. It's not Doug Wilson, but it's somebody because of Doug Wilson. We now have the perfect number. 12. Yeah, 12, yeah. <laughs> Our listeners are complete. How many are related to us? That's the better question. Let's not get into that. Let's That's depressing. Into- <laughs> that is depressing. Um, so we are the Rebel Alliance podcast. Uh, we just want to thank you for tuning in with us. Uh, we are proud members of the Berean Media Network. Uh, that's just uh, friends of ours. Uh, who have uh, banded together uh, that we we've met through the through the network through podcasting. Um, so it's the Layman's Cup, um, it's the Front Pew, and it's the Two Thieves. And uh, I just just a shout out to those guys. Uh, some of the content you guys have been dropping uh, the the episode several weeks ago on suffering by the layman was just solid. The Lordship Salvation um, by uh, the Two Thieves was a great episode. Uh, have you, did you listen to this week or I guess this, this week when we're recording, but a couple of weeks ago, the, uh, uh, front pew episode on altar calls, the history of the altar call. I did listen to that. Man, that, that was, was solid too. Yeah, that was solid. So, um, anyway, they're dropping great content. Uh, thanks so much guys for, uh, staying gospel centered and, uh, staying, uh, uh, true to the scriptures. And, uh, thanks for, uh, fighting alongside us as we try to change the world through this, uh, platform. This media. If you want to know more about the Rebels, uh, you can uh, find us at uh, rebelalliancemedia.com. And if you want to find more about the Berean Media Network and connect with some of those other podcasts, then you go to bereanmedianetwork.com. Find us on Facebook, find us on iTunes, uh, share, like, rate, review, all that fun stuff. It just really helps us get the message out. Uh, we want to start off today by doing uh, one of our, uh, speaking of our, our wonderful listeners, one of them, our friend Ashley Cox, uh, gave us the uh, the idea several weeks ago for a new segment called, uh, What Would You Take the Chip For? And uh, and I don't want to rehash the whole thing, but it's essentially, uh, you know, every time somebody talks about microchips in the hands or microchips somewhere, uh, people start talking about the mark of the beast. And so uh, because of our interpretation, how we understand scripture, uh, we're not scared about the mark of the beast. We think that happened in the first century because John said, these are, I'm writing to you about the things that must soon take place. And that seems like a pretty plain statement. Chris? Very, very plain. I don't very, know how you can interpret that in any other way. Uh, and so... The Mark of the Beast, among many other things in the book of Revelation, uh, took place soon after John wrote the book of Revelation, uh, which we think was before 70 AD. And uh, a lot of that's about the destruction of the temple, destruction of Jerusalem at the hands of the Romans. It's fun. Study the book of Revelation. Partial preterism. It's fun. (laughs) And uh, because we're not worried about the Mark of the Beast, we're not worried about the Antichrist. We're not worried about um, the, the whore dripping in blood. Um, we're not worried about any of that stuff. Uh, that we was can, graphic. You, went, <laughs> well, hey, you took it to a dark place. You took it to a dark place. Revelation is graphic. Uh, we're not we're too worried about the chip. So uh, when our friend Ashley Cox uh, showed us that in Wisconsin, it looks like there's a company who wants to microchip their employees. Uh, I say, hey, I don't want to get microchipped, but if I never have to cut the grass again, if I never have to cut the grass again, I will take the chip. So I take the chip if you will cut my grass for me for the rest of my life, Chris. I, to be honest with you, like I feel like there's an arrangement we could make here, because, like I don't actually mind cutting the grass. I throw on my headphones, 
I listen to some podcasts. I listen to, you know, some sermons and I just, I just, you know, go about my business. Now I, I point out that it takes me a long time to cut my grass because, you know, I just like to. You walk slowly. I do walk that should slowly. Be honest. I, I, I kind of waddle. You have short you know, legs. I, just, I got short little <laughs> legs, man. But I, I get it done yeah. and I enjoy doing it. So I feel like we could probably work something out here. On a uh, side note, just talking about short shovel legs. Shovel my driveway in the winter? Talking about short legs. Don't you think that it's interesting that of all the creatures that they chose to give the ring to, to bring to Mordor, they chose the shortest little hobbits with the shortest little legs? Yeah, I th- I I've always thought of that because like because like I think they factored in it's going to be a little bit longer of a walk for him. It's going to be more tiring, but at the height that he's at, I I think they were thinking that orcs aren't going to be able to see them over tall grass because you got to think like <laughs> nobody's mowing the lawn in Gondor. And way to bring that full circle. I like that. Like, I I will admit to you that I li- I uh, I listen to the Layman's Cup every single week that I cut my grass. So I'm not saying I'd give up the Layman's Cup taking the chip but just the act of cutting the grass i find another time to listen to layman's cup because i i i'm a pastor i got mondays off i cut my grass on mondays layman's cup drop an episode takes me about an hour i listen to the layman you need to get one of those like riding lawnmowers with the fans mm. you've seen that guy we've all we then all i know. could listen to the the front pew podcast as well since their podcasts are like three hours long <laughs> <laughs> you think i love you Griggs. <laughs> um what would you take the chip for chris Honestly, I know I might get some pushback here, but if I never had had to sleep again, I'd take it. I don't like sleeping. I really? Put, no, I don't. I, you don't have kids yet. Once you have kids, you're gonna love sleeping. Okay, let me let me work this back for you. Let right, me right. let me throw out my my argument. Like, I'm not saying that I would just permanently be tired. I wouldn't like. I just mean if they if I could just remove the need for sleep, so I could just be conscious and aware, just like I had had eight hours of rest all the time. I mean, that's what I would do. I would just take out the need to ever, ever actually have to go into sleep mode. I feel like, I feel like you're basically asking for a superpower. Like the microchip is not giving you superpower. I I think you're playing the game wrong, Chris. I am. I am interpreting the game as I understand it. As I see fit. Like many people do with the book of revelation. (laughs) Right. Well done, sir. Yeah. If I could just never sleep again, think how much more reading you would get done. That's true. If, that's like, true. cause you'd well be played, the only well one, right? Well so like, you know, everybody else would go to sleep and you just crack open a book. Bam. You just knocked off all the Flavel's books in a month because you got eight hours a night that everybody else is down and you're that's just reading. True. You're just reading. Be great fun. Nice. All right. Fair enough. What how about you? Other than cutting your grass, which you've made abundantly clear. Abundantly clear. Um, if I could, if I, okay, maybe this is a superpower kind of one. I'm fine with it. I um, changed the game on you. Yeah. Yeah. If I, if I didn't have to eat vegetables and I could just infuse chips with the nutrients that come in vegetables, I'm not a big vegetable fan. And here's the thing that I hate about vegetables most of all. They just go bad too fast, right? So you, you buy a bunch of vegetables and half of them rot in your fridge. Um, not because you're not eating them. I eat them all the time because I know they're good for me, but not because I love... And so I don't eat chips as much as I would like to because I love chips. Um, so if I could get the nutrient value from vegetables in chips, I'd take the chip in a heartbeat. I'm, and I know what you're going to say. You're going to say that at Costco, they sell veggie sticks. You don't actually get veggie value in that. You could eat an entire bag and you get enough salt to kill you and you wouldn't get uh, one serving of vegetables. So really? yeah, no, it's yeah. true. I know. I know. I was depressed when I found that out too. Yeah. They're not as good as they think, but 
Don't you do all, most of your vegetables in shake form anyway? Don't yeah, you like- because I don't like eating vegetables. I I I grind up vegetables and I put them in a in a shake and I down it real quick so I can just be done with it. What about asparagus? Ah, uh, I don't really? mind. I don't mind asparagus, but like, are you telling me that you would like to have asparagus as part of your meal rather than just eating more steak? Or like steak and chips as opposed to steak and asparagus? No, no, no. The, the, the food hierarchy is meat first. I agree. So like I will always take more meat if, meat if meat is on offer. And then I will go to potatoes because the potatoes are the like second best thing you can eat. And then I go into something like asparagus. But like I wouldn't – I don't hate asparagus. I wouldn't be like I never want to eat this again. But if, unless you were offering me more meat. Or chips. You wouldn't take chips over asparagus? I don't, I don't think I would. Now, I would take chips over like corn or peas or Brussels sprouts, which shouldn't be a thing. Uh, but mm. I, would, I would eat chips like – I'm actually a little shocked here because like you eat pretty healthy. I do, but I don't do it because I love it. I do it for the value. The, the, the nutritional value yeah, that it gets. It's, yeah, yeah. It's a, it's, it's a non-joyful obedience. <laughs> <laughs> what else did you take the chip for? This this one's straight up just because I I feel alone in in my world sometimes. I if I I would take the chip if I could make you and my boy Jay like Liverpool. Mm. Start being soccer fans, give up on all this hockey nonsense, and we could just all start you know fellowshipping around the glorious beautiful game. That'd be great fun for me. So what I hear you say is that you'd take the chip if Jay and I would bow down to your idol of soccer. It is not an idol. <laughs> That's fair. No, that's fair. I know how much you love soccer and you do feel alone. It's like you were born on the wrong continent. I was born on the wrong continent, Nate. Yeah. But hey, you'd either be podcasting without me or me without you if you were born on a different continent. That's true. We're like, I almost feel like like Belky and that other guy in that show. Remember that show? <laughs> I do. Who's um, the boss? Is that who's the boss? No, I don't know. Two's company? Two's company? There's something That's like not that. even a show. That's Three's not, Company Three's is a show. Is a, yeah. I don't watch these shows. I don't Golden know Girls? Was it, it wasn't Golden Girls. Um, if you start talking about Golden Girls, I'm done. We're done. <laughs> uh, so instead of being done, let's begin. <laughs> let's talk about what we're actually here to talk about today. Um, we, we, we get a little bit of backlash sometimes. I, I was trying to delay this topic because I feel like we might get like... More backlash? I, I was thinking more like attacked, but... Um, maybe attacked as well. Maybe attacked. Some of this, I, to be honest with you, some of the rebel. This is this is not joking anymore. Let's go to a serious place for a moment. Um, but uh, but you know, sometimes place. sometimes uh, my wife Colleen gets a little nervous uh, with some of the stuff that we post, right? Because we're trying to be biblical and we're trying to be, uh, uh, you know, expose truth, scriptural truth in a world that uh, can be pretty hostile to truth. She sometimes gets worried that we we actually will get uh, some sort of back, like real backlash for some of the stuff we put out there. But hey. God's sovereign, right? God is sovereign. And, you got to uh, stand for truth. And we got Kemp on our side. Well, Kemp England. It's like a superhero name. And they let him wear a gun. He has a gun? Yeah. Um, but the reason we've been getting a little bit of backlash is uh, we, we threw up a video uh, a little while ago on climate change. And, uh, and some of our friends, some of our, our, our Christian friends and some of our non-Christian friends that we have on Facebook as we were who sharing we the video. The who record. we love. We absolutely love. Um, 
don't really love our stance on climate change. It's 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 amazing how uh, you can you can talk about uh, what the Bible says about homosexuality and transgenderism, uh, but climate change seems to strike a chord uh, with a lot of people, and uh, and so we're we're going to kind of talk about climate change here. And I I have a bit of a confession to make, Maybe. and that is we. I thought you did a really good job in the in the climate change video to kind of talk about uh, being stewards of the environment and as Christians we should be. Um, you know, I, I part of my admission to you is that sometimes I let this issue get a little too political for me, right? Because it has become political. It has been kind of a tool of the left um, used against uh, the right, um, and so it's hard to separate this topic from its its political motivations. And sometimes I get caught up in that as well. So what we kind of want to do today is we want to bring this back and say, all right, let's let's hit the reset button a little bit. Let's talk about uh, the Christian's relationship with the environment from a biblical standpoint. So um, if you're listening to this and you hate what we had to say about climate change, <laughs> keep listening um, because we're not just going to rehash the things we said on the video. We're, we're going to try to pull some scripture and we're going to try to uh, kind of uh, create uh, kind of a biblical theology of, of environmentalism, if you will. I know that word, that term has a lot of baggage, but uh, uh, we would just call it creation. We would just call it, uh, uh, you know, uh, stewardship over the, the earth that God has given to us. Scripture tells us that the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. He owns all of it. So uh, we have to come back to his word if we want to have a proper understanding. And if you're listening to us and, and climate change is totally off your radar, you're just here because you love when we talk about Star Wars and uh, and other kind of s- such things, I would just encourage you to listen because um, in a lot of the conversations, whether it's political, whether it's religious, that we've got into over the last little while, you would be, I think, shocked at how um, passionate people are about this particular topic, and hopefully we'll give you some some good biblical uh, things to think about as we're wading into this topic. Uh, any other disclaimers that you kind of wanted to throw out there, Chris? Yeah, I, I kind of just, my th- my theory we, when you were saying about um, people like take this as a political issue, and I, I think of this as like um, whether climate change is real or not real or anything like that, um, I know where we stand on that, but as a Christian, even if wherever you fall on that on that guideline on that principle i think it's important for us all to understand that this still is like the bible has stuff to say on this subject right and if you're a christian you're listening to this podcast even if you disagree with what me and nate say or believe about climate change or the age of the earth or anything like that the we all have to agree that the bible is the authority not our presuppositions of what we're bringing to it. Right. So what does the Bible say on these issues? And then we work out what we see around us. First, what the Bible says, then what we see. And I just think, I I think that's why there's so much tension. I don't know if that's the right word, but that's kind of the feeling, especially some of the conversations we've gotten in after the video about this subject, where it's just like, you know, we don't understand, and and I'll confess, this is not a subject I am overly gung gun ho about. I, um, if it wasn't for the fact that the video got so much feedback, we probably wouldn't have thought, hey, we need to have a whole another episode on this. But I think it's good. Let's look at what the Bible says about the environment, about how Christians should treat the environment, and then we can work out the rest, the details around that afterwards. So. Right. 
That's awesome. So, um, so I just say, I mean, when we did the video, this wasn't out in theaters right now. Right now, out in theaters is our, our buddy Al Gore, who invented the internet and made podcasting possible. Um, Thank you, Al Gore. <laughs> he did The Inconvenient Truth uh, several years ago, and uh, just recently in the theaters right now is uh, an inconvenient sequel. And, uh, and so uh, here's what I'll say to start this is don't get your worldview about environment and and climate from Al Gore's movie and inconvenient sequel or or any political pundit if a politician is telling you what to think about something you ought to be suspicious so I'm going to recommend two resources um, one is uh, one of my favorite authors uh, is uh, Francis Schaeffer and he wrote a book called pollution and the death of man and this was published back in the 1970s um, which incidentally is kind of when global cooling was a thing not so much the global warming but uh and he wrote this in response to the environmentalism he was seeing at the time but if you read it then you now you will think that he wrote it like right now in, in the last couple of years about our time he he uh francis schaefer was so uh insightful as to into culture and where it was going and stuff the second one i would really recommend is it's called a different shade of green by Dr. Gordon Wilson, brand new book, and uh, and he is a professor at uh, New St. Andrews uh, Seminary, and uh, and he uh, kind of tackles this issue. So those are two resources I would say. And so Christian, who is listening, um, you know, don't get your your facts through whatever um, politicians are are feeding you, because like we said, this is a a highly politically motivated topic. Go to people who are starting on the foundation that God created the world. And he owns the world and he has spoken through his word about what Christians should think about the world that he's created. And so if, if somebody's not starting with that foundation, then why would you why would you believe anything that they say and as they spin their, their wheels and look at the world around them if they're not starting from that foundation? Right? That you have to start there. Yeah, I, I agree. I'm now in full disclosure, I tried to look into the subject from the other side, trying to like, just so we could have an educated discussion. And one of the things I think that's a really good point to point out to Christians is that a lot of the science behind climate change, a lot of the evidence that they would put forward as, as this being a real, a real thing at the core of that belief is a presupposition that the world is 400, 500, 600,000 years old, because um, that's when they they believe the the I, process began, um, it, like even longer, like billions. We're talking billions. Yeah, but they can't, they they their data they can yeah, only yeah, they can only right. extrapolate back to now. Again, I'm not a scientist, but the, like a 500 or 600 year, thousand years is where they actually can start seeing this trend of increase. Right. And it's only in the last 6,500 ish years that there's been an actual change, an upward trend in carbon dioxide in the in the environment. And as a Christian, I ask you one simple question. Well, how old what is... Happened? What, <laughs> what happened? What happened 6,500 years ago, biblically? When, when we would say the world began, all <laughs> of a sudden an increase in carbon dioxide as people on Earth started to populate the Earth. And there was more of us. And it seems to continue to increase right. 
as the population of our globe continues to increase. Right. I, if and just even even Christians who don't hold the our young Earth position, um, right? We 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 did a, a an episode. We talked about this in one of our in our creation uh, video, which was part of our uh, grand narrative uh, miniseries uh, several weeks ago. But uh, we talked about this and why we believe in a young Earth. But even Christians who hold to an old Earth, right? They're they're holding to an old Earth still believing the biblical history that man entered the the picture that adam and eve were created six thousand sixty five hundred years ago so um so as a christian that that ought to be your first indication that first of all whatever you think about this as they're looking at data it seems to point you in the direction of believing that man's about six thousand years old yeah that's really encouraging and and that's really what i'm what i'm trying to say even even the evidence that they put forth proves if you're looking at it Realistically, it proves a Christian worldview right. that 6,000 years ago, people started to populate the earth and carbon dioxide, which we breathe out, has increased dramatically since then. Right. I think everybody can look around and know that there's way more people now than there was day one when Adam and Eve, or whatever day that was, they, when they left the garden. Right. I think we can all agree on that, right? Right. So um, I, just a, a little caveat as we get started here. I want to acknowledge this fact. We can fall off the ditch here on either side. Yeah. Right. So if we're if we're if we're trying to figure out what does the Bible say about Christians' relationship to the environment, we can fall off the ditch on either side. And here's the two sides of the ditch. Number one, there's the side where Christians are re- realizing it's hip to be green, <laughs> right? It's 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 the in thing to be an environmentalist. It's the in thing to drive a Prius. It's the in thing. Is it, uh, is it in to drive a Prius? Yeah, man. Leo, Leo, Leonardo DiCaprio, I our do boy. Like Leo. Um, I know you're a big fan, so I thought I'd throw him out there. But it, it, it's hip to be green, um, and that's one side of the ditch. And I would, I and and the so there's there's a real tendency that we have to then how we're falling off the ditch on that side is that we are overemphasizing the environment. And I think biblically where we see this is in Romans one when it talks about uh, those who reject the truth that they know about God, right? So Romans 1 is, is uh, we come back to this verse a lot, and it talks about that um, though they knew him, right, knew God because of his invisible attributes, because as they look at the world around him, things like the presence of CO2 <laughs> seem to indicate that they, uh, they were created in such a way that there's a God who exists and brought it all into existence. And Romans 1 tells us that they suppressed the truth they know about God and exchanged it for a lie. And, uh, and what's interesting as verse 25 of Romans 1 says it this way, he says, They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator. And I think that's one of the, the ways that environmentalism has failed is in the absence of God, you're looking to make anything else God. Yourself, the state, you know, uh, a relationship, an idol, whatever the case may be. And one of the things that some of these extreme environmentalists have done is they've elevated the role of the created order to creator. And they've exchanged the truth they know about the creator God, and they've bowed down and worshipped the creation rather than the creator. So that's the one side that you can fall off the ditch. It's hip to be green, and, and that I think can lead itself into all sorts of environmentalism uh, and and what, what essentially uh, becomes idolatry. The way you can fall off the ditch on the other side is I'll just call it the redneck reaction, <laughs> right? That, that like... Um, you know, just make fun of the tree huggers, uh, bury your head in the sand. That's not happening because there's a reaction to 
idolatry. There's a reaction to the wrongness of that other side where we just say, you guys are idiots. There's nothing to, there's nothing here. Um, you know, and, and this is the side that, you know, the left would now call the climate change deniers, right? The, the hicks who, uneducated hicks who deny science and all that kind of stuff. And really where we're seeing they fall off the ditch on that side, it's, 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 this is a failed stewardship issue. Right. Theologically, I think that this is a, a failure to understand if there are Christians who fell off the ditch on this side. It's a failure to understand that God called the world that he created good and he gave it to mankind to steward. And um, and then on, on top of that, um, he has called us to steward it in such a way that we we care for it because this earth is a permanent place. And I think theologically, one of the reasons this we fall off the ditch here is because of the improper eschatology that this world is just going to be destroyed. So who cares anyway, right? Yeah. And, and we we understand that uh, that Jesus Christ at His resurrection inaugurated the new heavens and the new earth. And um, whether you believe that we are on the new heavens and the new earth now, or whether that's still to come, either way, we recognize that that comes about in the same way that we've been. Right, all those who are in Christ are a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And so it's a, it's a, it's not a destruction and recreation. It's a restoration. And we've talked about that before. So those are the two sides. You can fall off the ditch because it's hip to be green. You can fall off the ditch because you, you have that sort of knee-jerk redneck reaction. Uh, but we want to find the ground in the middle. Um, and uh, and so just a couple of comments as we work our way through. Anything you want to comment on that before we keep going? No, I think you said that exactly right. I think I think uh, the biblical way to think about the environment is to be in between right. those, those two things. Understand our authority over the earth, because Genesis 1 tells us we have dominion over the fish in the sea, the livestock, and the earth. Right. But understand that dominion doesn't mean like domination of right. the earth either, that we are to be stewards, and the earth is still ultimately... Uh, Psalm 24, 1 says the earth is the Lord and the fullness thereof. Um, the world does, he's given, like, bless that to us, but it's still his world. You know what I mean? And I think I think Christians need to walk the line in between those two points, like you said, so that we don't fall off on either side. And I think, I think if you look at this from a cultural perspective, whether you're climate change advocate or not climate change, the real answer is to be in between those two things. And what that means for a Christian is to be a good steward of the environment biblically. Right. So let's talk about that. You use the, the term dominion. You said dominion, not uh, domination. Is that how you said that? Yeah. And, and this is a really important point. So we would look to Genesis 1. And in Genesis 1, in verse 28, it says, God blesses them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, behold, I've given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food and to eat and to every beast of the earth and every bird of the heavens and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has breath, I have given every green plant for food. And so, and it was so, and God saw everything that he made and behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning on the sixth day. So there's so much there that that just ought to shape how we even react to this particular um uh, topic. Number one, so God assigns the roles, right? So he says, Adam, you have dominion. 
you are over the fish of the sea. You are over the beasts of the field. You are over the plants. You are over the earth. He and and that 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 term have dominion. It is a it's a lordship term. He is he is lord over the earth. And and so this this might get a little controversial here with me, but but bear with me. So this is this is God telling Adam, you are are the ruler here. You are the leader here. Now the, fast forward to the New Testament. This is the same term that we use when we read in Ephesians 5 that husbands are head of the home, or sorry, head of the wife, and Christ is head of the church. It's the same word, dominion, headship. It's, it's, it's translated in different ways, um, but it's, 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 this is the same idea. And so what we're talking about here is in the same way that Christ is head of the church, man is head over creation. And that's a really important distinction for two reasons. Number one, where we fall off the ditch on the one side is that we seem to think that animals have as much value as humans or that who are we as humans? What right do we have to just pillage the earth, right? And the reality is we have every right because God has given it to us. God has given us the command to take dominion, to, to, to have headship over the created order. Now, the way we fall off the ditch on the other side is we 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 think that dominion means to use everything up and that's and that's not what dominion is right the de, having uh christ having headship or dominion over the church doesn't mean that he uses up the church it means that he loves and he cares for and he nurtures and he uh he he promotes the flourishing of the church just like a good husband ought to bring the best out of his wife in fact after it says husband is head of the wife it goes on to say uh, that he might sanctify her right present her without blemish. And so the point there is that as husbands, part of our role, it's a very terrifying role for us, Chris, is that uh, part of our role is to help our wives flourish, help our wives become all uh, that God wants them to be, the women that God wants them to be, the mother that God wants them to be, the Christian that God wants them to be. That's part of our role as as uh, as head in our, in our marriages. And so dominion means the same thing for us. Mm. Christians ought to look for how can we make the environment how can we make the earth that god has given to us flourish and and that's a that's a that's a huge distinction right so we can fall off the ditch if we think that well who are we to you know use up the resources of the earth and who are we to ascribe more value to ourselves than animals well god told us that we have a special place in creation we're the only creatures created in his image and he gave us the earth and to have dominion over the earth and then how do we fall off the ditch on the other side? If we think that that dominion means we get to use it all up and pillage it and it's all for our glory. That's not what it's for. It's for God's glory and our job is to cultivate it to bring out its flourishing. Yeah, I think that's, I think that's great. And just if you're, if you're listening and you are, are somebody who's listening and think, no, we're equal with animals or anything like that, the reason we, we would say we have dominion is because God has created us in his image. No, nothing else in creation does that attri- is that attributed to right just humanity so we get that authority because god has given it to us by creating us in his image so therefore we are now we do have dominion over the earth and like you were saying Nate dominion doesn't mean domination it doesn't mean we are to burn up the environment it means we are to shepherd it so that it can flourish right and i think that's this is where christians need to get serious and start thinking about what that actually looks like. Yeah, absolutely.
Um, so one of the things when we were talking to Doug Wilson um, is he he said uh, he just profoundly um, defined culture as the uh, the outward expression of, of religion, right? What your what your inward beliefs are, and and I, I think that that's really really interesting because um, the culture like the created order is what God made. And then cultures is when we interact with that created order and create something out of it, right? And so how humans interact with the created order is what's creating the culture. It's it's us living out our religion, right? Us living out our beliefs in the created order that creates culture. And so it's it's this this really neat partnership that God has created there where he created the, the earth and it was created very good but not very best. And so the point is, is that we get to go, and, and um, uh, the point, uh, I, I referenced uh, Dr. Gordon's uh, book, uh, A Different Shade of Green, Dr. Gordon Wilson. And in that book, he, he makes a really interesting point. He talks about the, uh, the parable of the talents, right? And he says, the, who is the, 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 the guy, the servant who gets chewed out by the master, right? It's the guy who buries the one talent, Right. And what's interesting is there, in, in environmental terms, what uh, Dr. Wilson says is that um, he says he got chewed out for sustainability, right? And, mm-hmm. and that's, I, it, what's interesting is that Al Gore and, and a lot of the environmentalists, what they're talking about is sustainability, right? They're talking about, let's just, let's just let, let it maintain. That's what the servant got chewed out for by the master. We're not meant to just maintain the environment around us. We're actually meant to make it flourish. We are meant to get the resources out of the earth. We are meant to use fossil fuel and and berries and and medicine that we find in plants. We're meant to to bring the good out of this. God created it with purpose and with design. And some of it cures um, emphysema. And probably some of it cures cancer that we haven't found yet. But our interaction with the environment, if we believe that God created this for our good and, and, and our interaction with it will bring about its flourishing, then if we can go into our interacting with the environment with that foundation, then I think that rather than just sustainability, because there's a lot of environmentalists who think humans just need to get their hands off. Get your get your drills out of the oceans. Get your you know what I mean, and that's not it. It's not it's not that. It's not hands off and just let the environment be and it'll be good. No, God created us to have dominion because we bring about the flourishing of His created order, and so um, I I think we have to do that smartly, right? Intelligently, we have to do that thoughtfully, and we have to do that in a way that we think about subsequent generations because this earth is going to be our home forever. And, and we have to do it in such a way that we care for the earth because God himself said that it was very good. And so because God created it very good, we have to treat it with, with respect and treat it with something. You know, if I, if I gave you a gift, Chris, and, you know, you know I, I came over the next day. If I, let's say I just wrote you a really heartfelt handwritten letter, right? And I was just telling you all the things I love about doing podcasting with you. And I, I come over the next day and that, that card is in the garbage. I'm going to be upset. Right, I I put my my heart. In, we, we can talk about how long you're supposed to keep a a, a thoughtful letter. Seven days. <laughs> Seven days. Is that the answer? Yeah, that's the answer. But my my point is, if you mistreat a gift that I give you, then we have beef. And so, if we mistreat the gift that God gave us to have dominion over, then He's got beef. But um, it our, the answer isn't hands off. The answer is cultivate Christ likely. Cultivate 
in a godly fashion, right? Does that make sense? Yeah, I think I think if we it's you just have to look at it. It's a perspective thing, right? Like um, if you if you if we were to be a farmer or be somebody who is a gardener, you you wouldn't expect that farmer to plant his seeds and just leave it and just not tend his fields, not do anything. Come back six months from now and expect a harvest. Same with the environment in terms of like with Christians, we are to tend the fields. We need to be the ones that are doing the things like you're saying. We need to be the active participants in terms of like actually making the environment better, not just hands off like what people have, what people have said. And I, and I, and that's I think where a lot of the rhetoric around climate change and things like that get hairy with Christianity because the like you're saying the idea is hands off, get right. away from the get get away from the world and it'll fix itself. Right. Whereas I think scripture also says that's not the case. And I, I, I use an example in scripture of a time when the world wasn't as populated as it is now. Think of when, it, when God gave the Israelites the promised land. He brought them into the promised land, but he said, I can't, I'm paraphrasing obviously, but he didn't let them wipe out all of the people at the start because the animals of the fields would be too numerous and overrun right. them. And so the idea is if we just took our hands off the earth, the earth would become unhospitable un- for us in period because we are the ones with dominion over it. Right. So it's up to us to be responsible to manage the earth. That's Adam's primary tasks were to have dominion over the earth and be to fruitful, go and, multiply. and be fruitful and multiply. Why did he have to multiply? So that the earth didn't, like now at that Over, time it was overrun. good, but, but yeah, didn't, yeah. didn't no, overrun yeah. him. And I think I think that's where a lot of the the mistakes are made in terms of right. on both sides of the idea that we the world would be better off without us. That's right. incorrect. The world yes. was created for us to be in it. Amen. Amen. Um, and because we are, that's our role here. Um, and I think that's just something I think people just need to understand in terms of like Christianity. Like I was saying with the farmer. You were saying that there's things in the in the environment now that could potentially be medicine that we could use to remove some of the harmful things that we do know. Like we know some chemicals are bad for us. We're not we're not advocating use all the chemicals. Right. Um, no. What we're saying is that Christians should be on the on the cutting edge of finding what those things are. Right. Because we don't want to harm people because people are made in the image of God. Exactly. And ex- exactly. And we are to be good stewards of the environment. So find those things and do those things. Right. Absolutely. And so, you know, so the question is climate change, and we haven't talked much about climate change, and I think that's a good thing because we're just trying to lay the foundation for a, a biblical theology of, of uh, man's relationship with the environment. So I, but just coming to climate change real quick, and I don't want to talk about it. We have to ask a couple of questions. So we're trying to equip you to engage culture with a biblical worldview. We're trying to, to build a biblical worldview um, a, a surrounding environmentalism and, and Christians' relationship with with the earth that God has created. So, so then, when it comes to climate change and and non Christians who are standing on a, f- a sandy foundation begin to make claims about you know what's going on in the world, and they begin to suggest things counter to what we're suggesting, counter to the 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 narrative of Scripture, hands off the environment, and they're not coming to it from a biblical worldview. We ought to be suspicious because they are coming to these things with a non-biblical worldview, and they are suppressing the truth they know about God and exchanging it for a lie, and very well could be, though, falling off the ditch on that side 
where they are worshiping the creation rather than the creator. So when it comes to climate change, we should ask a few questions. Number one, is it happening, right? And, and I'm, not, I'm not here saying it's not happening. I'm really not. The reality is, is that most of the, if I'm going to go straight to the data, a lot of it's over my head, right? I don't understand. I don't understand the cycles well enough to know any of that stuff. Um, so maybe it's happening, maybe it's not. There's conflicting um, evidence for it. Um, I, I do know that Obama tweeted out like 97% of scientists. That's been debunked, just so you know. So if you're listening to this, don't use that. That's not real. Um, so is it happening? Maybe it is happening. Number two, if it is happening, is it our fault? Right? Is, is, it, is, it, the, is it our fault for you know, our carbon footprints and all that kind of stuff? Um, is it our fault? And then if, if it is happening and it is our fault, is fault the right word? Is it bad? Right? Is it, is it bad? There's actually uh, an article, I, I think I linked it on, on our Facebook page uh, several weeks ago, which is what started some of the hitting the fan, so to speak, of, uh, <laughs> of the climate change controversy, um, where somebody recalculated some of the numbers and said, yeah, no, we are affecting the environmental change, but, it's, but they've exaggerated the effect by almost 30 times, right? So is it happening? Is it our fault? And is it bad? And, and this is where I want to come back because you and I aren't scientists. Nope. We can't argue this from this point. So let's go back to the Bible and let's just say it this way. Let's assume all those things are true. Let's assume it is happening, it is our fault, and it is bad. Let's still be skeptical of the, um, the solutions that an unregenerate person standing on shifting sand is suggesting to us on how we go about changing these things. Because in the Bible... There are times when God judges people environmentally, right? There's the plagues in Egypt, in uh, the book of Isaiah, in the book of Amos. Um, there's there's uh, one particular passage in the book of Hosea that, uh, that I'll read to you right now. It's in Hosea chapter 4. And just listen to this. I think this is so timely. Listen. Hosea chapter 4. Hear the word of the Lord, O children of Israel. The Lord has a controversy with the inhabitants of the land. There is no faithfulness or steadfast love and no knowledge of God in the land. There is swearing, lying, murder, stealing, and committing adultery. They break all bounds and bloodshed follows bloodshed. Therefore, listen to this, this is really interesting. The land mourns and all who dwell in it languish. And also the beasts of the field and the birds of the heavens and even the fish of the sea are taken away. And so here's an environmental judgment of God. So here's the thing, and this is what I really want to get through to any of our listeners. Put aside the political stuff. When God sent this environmental judgment to the people of Israel, it wasn't because of their carbon footprint, (laughs) right? It was because of their sin. And so if we're going to grant this, is climate change happening? If we're going to say yes, Is it our fault? And we're going to say yes. Is it bad? And we're going to say yes. Even if we're going to grant all those things, the solution is not reducing our carbon output. The solution is repentance, right? It's a sin issue. So there are times when God judges the nation um, environmentally and he does it because of sin. And so you have to look, you know, if, if our world is being judged by God environmentally, we should look, are we killing any babies, right? Are, are we dishonoring uh, the image of God in how we're dealing in society? Is, is, 
is some of the laws of our land unjust and oppressing uh, the, the most vulnerable? Those are all the issues that were going on in Hosea's day. Those are all the issues that were going on in Amos's day. Those are all the issues that were going on in Isaiah's day. And so the solution to our environmental problem isn't an environmental issue. It's a heart issue. So the, the message would be repent. Repent of your sin, right? Get right with God. And I think to bring man's relationship with the environment back to a gospel issue, we know that as we are reconciled to God, our relationships to God, man to God, our relationships to one another, man to man, and our relationship of man to environment, all were affected at the fall, right? The land brought forth thorns and thistles. So the it, it was a sin issue that brought environmental hazards into the world. And as people repent and believe the gospel, the transformational blessing that, com- that comes with peace from God can come. And it's only through a, a heart change that people can have a right relationship with God and therefore a right relationship with their environment. And it's only by that way that we'll begin to heal the earth. So, you know, I'm not a scientist. I, I, I got nothing else to say about climate change, but I think that's the biblical picture. And I think that's what we ought to be focusing on. I think that's that's brilliant. If you have any questions or comments or that aren't debating the science, because like you said, we're not we're not scientists. We're Christians. Yeah. Um, and, and let's not get into a political debate, Democrat versus Republican or conservative <laughs> versus liberal. I don't want to mention Justin Trudeau. Yeah, I if you're going to argue with us, bring the Bible. Yeah. So that's what we, we say. And I, and that wasn't a challenge statement. I just think we need to start thinking biblically about the, the issue, regardless of where you are, what your stance are is at the beginning. And I think what you said there, Nate, about being the, when God wants to judge us, sometimes he uses the environment to do it. And it has nothing to do with how much chemicals we're using in our air right. or how much we're breathing or how many people there are. It's about, how many people have turned away from him and treat him like he doesn't exist. And so we need to focus on that and get the hearts right. And so if you're listening today and you've liked what you heard, please just share us and get educated on the subject and start thinking about how can I be a positive impact in my community, in my environment, but mostly and first and foremost, how can I get my heart right with God? Amen. All right, man. Love tackling these issues with you, Chris. Uh, Thanks for joining us, everybody who has. uh, We love hearing from you. Um, So hopefully this was helpful. And uh, hopefully wherever you are on this particular debate, uh, we've brought this back. And and one of the things that we can all focus on together is the the reality that we all need our hearts right before God. Um, So let's keep the gospel central. And uh, let's as individuals and then collectively as a church, and then hopefully as a nation, repent and ask God to um, begin to reverse the effects of the curse. You've been joining the Rebels. Thanks so much for being with us. You've been listening to the Rebel Alliance podcast, where we equip you to engage culture through a biblical worldview. Please take the time to subscribe on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. Write a review and leave a five-star rating. If you would like to see all of our content, which includes podcast episodes uploaded to iTunes each Wednesday, and short videos about engaging culture released on Facebook each Friday, please visit us online at rebelalliancemedia.com. We love hearing from you, so if you have questions, comments, or would like to suggest episode topics, send us a message on Facebook or email us at info at rebelalliancemedia.com. Thanks for joining us. 
and you may now consider yourself part of the rebellion.